You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. everybody. I am your host, Dr. Saba Maruf, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit. And we are back um, with quite a, we had a little bit of a break there. Uh, I'm here in the studio with Jess, our sound engineer. Hi, Jess. Hi, how are you? Good. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it has been a while. I know. We (laughs) took a little bit of a break and I'm actually really excited to be back. Um, Welcome back. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited to introduce um, the show uh, for today and our guest. Um, But just to recap for anyone new that's listening, our purpose here is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. We hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. And you can find us on Facebook um, where you can find um, posts about all of our past episodes um, and information about today's show and also on the website um, for the studio, podcastdetroit.com. And we're also on iTunes. So I'm super excited to um, introduce our unsung hero of the day, Geetha. Geetha Morali. Geetha, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So we, so we haven't actually spoken, I think, in like uh, several years. Um, but Geetha and I <laughs> know each other from the University of North Carolina, where um, I was an undergrad, and I th- I think you were in graduate school at the time when we met. Um, or you were finishing up undergrad when I was starting. But um, I'm so excited to reconnect with you, and I was just so um, excited and inspired to see all the amazing things that you're doing with um, the organization, your organization that we're going to be talking about today called Room to Read. Um, and just to introduce you, Geetha has nearly 20 years of diverse experience across the corporate and nonprofit sectors, and she has a master's degree in biostatistics from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and her master's and doctorate degrees in South Asian politics from the University of California at Berkeley. And she was um, recently appointed, well, uh, within the past year, appointed as a CEO for Room to Read a global organization which uh, which aims to transform the lives of millions of children in low-income countries by focusing on literacy and gender equality in education. So as a CEO, Dr. Morali will now oversee Room to Read's global operations, which include pro- uh, programming and work in 15 low-income countries, um, a global network of investors and volunteer chapters, and a worldwide staff of more than 1,500 employees. So, wow, that's impressive. So tell us a little bit about how have you been and what you've been doing and a little bit about Room to Read. Yeah, well, it's definitely been a little while since we've been in touch and life has taken me in a lot of different directions, but I'm excited to be where I am now. I after uh, our time together in North Carolina, uh, did work in statistics for a while, but realized pretty quickly that I probably didn't want to be doing the same type of work for the next 45 years of my life and, and just wanted something a little bit different for my life. So I uh, 
did a number of different things, including going back to school and, and utilizing my statistics degree, but more in the social science sector, did some work with election commissions and, and voters around the world. But during the process, realized that the organizations that I had the most respect for were really those local organizations and communities that were working to to make the lives of, of the next generation better and had a lot of res- respect for them. So that began my exploration into the nonprofit sector. And I was fortunate to meet the co-founder and previous CEO of Room to Read during that process. Um, and Room to Read was quite small at the time, but was being funded by an organization called the American India Foundation. And they were doing some really great work in digital technology in India. And I became involved with with their work at a large scale, got some experience doing corporate and government partnerships to help support the social sector and um, found my way to Runcharit as it continued to grow and, and took over their corporate partnership team, ultimately becoming their head of development and marketing and uh, more recently, the CEO earlier this year. Um, to get back to your question a little bit about what Room to Read does and its history, um, it is a global organization. It's been around for just about 18 years and was started by a group of founders in 2000 based on the belief that world change starts with educated children. And the founders had a strong mix of for-profit and international experience across them, and they wanted to create an organization that could have uh, a measurable impact in the world. But I think what's made Room to Read unique is really that it's grown its programs through an ongoing process of, of learning and seeing what's best for the communities that we serve in terms of helping to teach children how to read and to help girls continue through school and has stayed pretty focused on those two programmatic pillars. And I think with that focus, the programs have, have been able to evolve to include those components that are most useful to these communities, including children's books and local languages, um, libraries to help the children access those books and and use them on a regular basis, the support for teachers in the community to help them teach reading and writing, and to ultimately work with uh, these communities to sustain these programs even beyond Room to Read's um, uh, presence in the community. And we found while we were doing our literacy work that girls were disproportionately disadvantaged uh, and not continuing past primary to the level that we wanted them to, given our investments in their early education. And there began our support of secondary school education and helping adolescent girls complete school. And through those programs, we stayed quite focused and have ensured that we're having a deep systemic transformation within the schools that we're working in. And to date, have reached 16.6 million children across 30,000 communities and and have our aspirations set much higher than that. Wow, that sounds amazing. So which um, communities and countries have you, does Room to Read, like, you know, uh, reach? Yeah, we're primarily focused in Asia and Africa with a significant presence across Southeast Asia, South Asia. Um, and uh, now growing more in Africa as well. Uh, but our process has been one of learning, as I mentioned. And so while we've done a lot of very deep and impactful work in many of the countries we've operated in, we've also started opening up our learnings to governments and partners in other countries where we don't have operations on the ground. And so we now have uh, projects that we've done in Jordan, we're just starting our first project in Honduras. So I think you'll see Room to Read's impact go far beyond uh, just where we have our own teams on the ground. Wow. And so 
Um, so you work in collaboration with local communities and partner organizations in those communities to um, yeah yeah go ahead sorry yeah our our our, our staff are um, all local nationals in the countries where we work um, so we have as you mentioned um, fifteen hundred plus staff and the nine uh, core portfolio countries that we work in where we have our own country offices from country director all the way through to field staff are local nationals. And those are room to read staff members who are working in the communities um, as literacy coaches to help support the teachers as they teach reading and writing effectively to these children um, as librarian um, uh, library facilitators, as we call them, to help the librarians support the library environment, uh, set up checkout systems and book leveling systems and um, ensure the right uh, books are available to the children. And then we also have staff who are mentors to the girls on our girls education program. So again, in the field, uh, working with our uh, girls that we're supporting in school and supporting the their parents and their communities to help uh, encourage a shift in the approach to, to gender equal education in the communities where we're working. So that's in our core portfolio countries. But in addition, we have staff who work with partners in other countries, build the capacity of local NGOs or governments directly. For example, we recently did a project in Grenada where we worked in all um, 50 or so primary schools across the island. I could say that's the one country that we've saturated completely. But I worked directly with the government and NGOs to help build the capacity of their entire education system. And ultimately, that's what we're looking to do is to ensure that, that governments have the tools and and the capacity to to teach their children as effectively as they can, because we believe that all children have a right to a quality education. Wow. So it sounds like you're working, I mean, it's kind of both top-down and bottom-up approach, like working on a policy level and with decision makers, but also very much like hands-on to a net ground level. Yes, absolutely. I think that um, our credibility uh, in being able to say that particular programmatic components really do have a direct impact on the way children are learning has to come from our own experience and the data that we collect and our ability to demonstrate that what we're doing really is better for the children than what might be happening at the a similar school down the street. And, and that just comes from doing the work. And, and we believe very strongly in um, gaining experience through implementation. But we also know that we can leverage that experience um, to help governments really understand how they can enhance their systems and and with their same teachers and in an environment that um, is very true to the local context, taking into account all of their limitations, get better results for the children that they serve. Wow, amazing. Um, I, I can tell, and I think anyone that's around you can tell you're very passionate about this. Um and I mean, it is an amazing effort. Um, can you tell us a little bit about or share about kind of your background and how um, nonprofit work and specifically your, this work with education and policy kind of became your passion? Yeah, you know, from a very, very young age, I learned that education was was power. It was the most important thing that could drive your future. And I think that came from an understanding of the struggles that that my parents went through to ensure that they were educated and in turn that I was. And uh, my mother particularly, I mean, she was, she was brilliant. She graduated high school at 13, but her father refused to educate his daughters beyond secondary school. And she was the eldest of seven children. Um, but 
despite that, and even though she had immense pressure, she remained adamant that she wouldn't get married. And this was, she was coming from a family where child marriage was, was pretty common in the generation before my grandmothers were married at two and 14. So it, it was pretty much a given that she would uh, get married, you know, as soon as she was done with high school, but instead she became a stenographer. She then went on and joined the Indian army to train as a nurse and came to the U S uh, on a nursing visa in the seventies, put herself through school, got a doctorate, and she, uh, too, became a statistician and, and had an illustrious career in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. So that, uh, that story was a part of my childhood. And, and so the role that education played in my mom's fight for her future, it's, it's shaped my career and, and my passion. And I think ultimately, when I was making the switch into the social sector, it was really clear that education was going to be the focus of my efforts. Because you know, ultimately, education is the foundation to, to solve many of the other issues we're facing in the world, um, be it poverty or conflict um, or intolerance or exploitation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my feeling is that if we educate the next generation and empower them to solve the world's problems, that we are um, inherently going to have a much brighter future. Wow. No, that's, that's amazing. And that story is amazing, too. And I didn't realize... Um, your mom's story and how accomplished she is, actually. I did not know that. That's amazing. Um, what are some memorable moments from your involvement with Room to Read? Oh, there are so many. Um, I think from the the children that we serve, there are so many different examples of, uh, of very specific individuals whose lives we've changed. But I think the, the example that I, that I share is... Uh, uh, you know, one about program evolution, just because I think it's important for people to understand the scale at which we're operating. Um, the One of the trips that I made um, pretty early during my time at Room to Read was to um, Room to Read Bangladesh, and we were just starting out our girls' education program there. And I was struck by um, how when I entered the, the classroom where the girls were going through their, their life skills training, um, they were all just incredibly quiet. And the program had just started, you know, a few months prior to my uh, arriving there. And the girls were unwilling to to speak, even if I asked them how they were enjoying their session. And then I realized that they weren't speaking because some of our male staff were in the room. And so I asked our, our staff to leave and um, they immediately crowded around me, started asking me all kinds of questions about where I came from and whether I would come back if they continued to, to study. And, um, I w- it was clear that that they themselves hadn't ever been asked what they liked or wanted for for their own future. They didn't even feel they had the right to choose a future for themselves and decide what what they wanted to do with their lives. Um, and it was clear that our program was in the right place at the right time and and was was very needed. On that same trip, I had the opportunity to go to India, where our program had been running for quite some time. And uh, the girls on our program were participating in um, a campaign with the International Cricket Council. And so they were invited to see the games with some of the the world's most renowned cricket players. And the BBC wanted to interview them and and various things like that. And so I was prepared to to coach them and have them prepared for their interview. But they immediately... um, you know, did not shy away from asking the questions they wanted to ask, responding to the journalists. They went right up to the cricket players, asking them what they were going to do to beat Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the amount of energy with which 
they were able to express themselves and to not feel, you know, any degree of, of shyness about having an opinion or, or um, enjoying, you know, the environment that they were in and expressing themselves openly to be it a journalist or a cricket player um, was incredibly profound to me. And that was, you know, the moment where I realized that, you know, uh, dignity and choice are just as important as a, a woman's contribution to GDP, which is sometimes what's, you know, cited as the reason that girls should be educated. But these girls found their voices, and I don't think there's uh, any any value that can be put on that. Wow. What are some of the challenges um, or roadblocks that Room to Read has encountered that you've encountered with the organization? I mean, in terms of, like, how effectively they can um, implement change and make an impact? Yeah, you know, we... Um, we're a relatively new organization as compared to a lot of international nonprofits. And so we're finding our way, you know, um, to, to build an organization that can do its best work around the world. And in that process, we do come across challenges like, you know, helping um, people understand the urgency behind education. I think it's more obvious when you have a, a natural disaster or, you know, um, something that is right in your face, you know, and you unrecognize the urgency of it. But education is just as urgent a need because every year that goes by where a child is not being educated at his or her full potential is a year that is wasted in their life in terms of their ability to contribute effectively to the world around them and, and to understand the, the power that they have to not only change their own lives, but their families' lives and their communities' lives. And while it is more of a long-term investment, while it's not like, you know, a vaccine that can be injected um, to, to, to be done with, that process mm. of investing in our children is one that I, I don't think can be underestimated. And helping people understand that um, is is a challenge for the organization, but one I think that we're up for and committed to. Um, the the other you know challenges are are ones that any large organization faces. You know, identifying the best talent around the world, the right partnerships. Um, you know, the the specifics of you know legal entities and statutory requirements in multiple countries around the world people look at a nonprofit and they think maybe that's the place you go to slow down when you don't want to be a professional um in the for-profit world anymore but we don't see it that way we see the nonprofit world as um just as worthy of the highest levels of professionalism and high work mm -hmm. ethic um and credibility that a for-profit multinational company um, needs to uphold so I think we're doing all of that, but we're doing it on um, uh, an overhead ratio that's acceptable to our donors, which I think is even more of a challenge than perhaps in the for-profit world. Well, while you were on kind of that um, stage, I saw a picture um, of you and your team ringing the bell at the stock exchange, I think a month or so ago, two months ago. Yes. Wow. Tell we us were, about that. We were fortunate to be able to do that. We were um, able to uh, mark um, Nelson Mandela's birthday with um, the ringing of the stock exchange bell. And that was, I guess, our equivalent of, of going IPO um, <laughs> in the nonprofit world. But it was an incredible opportunity to be highlighted by many of our corporate partners who support us and um, to indicate the importance of education to the, the future success of the world. And I think there's no better place to 
to indicate the importance of um, education than somewhere like the stock exchange that's representative of of uh, of success and um, you know the the economic growth that is is possible around the world with those types of investments in our children. Wow. Well, you talked um, a little bit about your mom, but I did want to ask you, and obviously she's a source of inspiration, um, but do you have um, any other heroes that have kind of helped inspire you? Oh, yes, there's so many. Um, I, you know, I'm definitely one of those people that um, that learns from everyone around me. You know, I, I think that very early in my career, I realized it's not just about having one mentor, but, but having many that you learn from. And I've been fortunate to have um, several uh, bosses in my previous roles that have, um, you know, coached and supported and encouraged me. Um, I look to, you know, some some trailblazers in the public sphere, like, you know, the the former First Lady, Michelle Obama, um, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, people who've really opened doors, I think, for for women and particularly women of color around the world. Um, and I'm always just blown away by the amount of energy coming out of youth activism these days. There are so many um, activists, particularly um, the those that are that are currently being highlighted. For, for example, I was at the the Gates Goalkeepers event in New York recently, and um, in every country that you know we think of as, as low income developing, there are a new generation of of activists across sectors, be they health or education or the environment, that are um, seeking to make their communities better. So I don't think it's just you know one or two even, but um, I, I definitely live my life with an appreciation for the number of of good people around the world who are who are striving to to make their communities better for the next generation. Yeah. Wow. And so our listeners can learn more about Room to Read um, on your website, right? Uh, www.roomtoread.org. Absolutely. And and follow us on social media, our, um, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, we are everywhere telling our story and, and encourage your listeners to, to share our story with others as well. And do you have like opportunities for like interns or um, people, you know, students or young people that are interested in international work, education, you know, advocacy? those kind of opportunities. Absolutely. Yep. We absolutely have um, internships that are posted on our website and we run um, an internship program. We have a very active volunteer network of um, chapters around 42 chapters, I believe the latest count um, 10,000 volunteers around the world that um, support our mission, run events for us and, and share our story in, in markets all over the world. Um, so there are all kinds of different ways to get involved, to get your companies involved, um, your schools, et cetera, all um, listed out on our website. So definitely encourage people to to explore how they can partner with us and forward our mission. And you mentioned that you have um, partner corporate partners, but also donors. And so you can make a donation there, too, I'm assuming. Yes, absolutely. Encourage um, encourage you to support a child. It's just fifty dollars a year to to help us support a child to learn to read or write, or three hundred dollars a year to support a girl on her journey through secondary school to help her complete secondary school and and move on to her next phase in life. So, it doesn't take a lot, but you can change a life quite easily through Room to Read. 
And what is your, you talked about your mom. What is, um, I'm sure your mom is very proud of you, but I guess, what does she say about the work that you're doing? Well, unfortunately, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's um, early last year. So she doesn't remember a lot of, I think, the the big decisions that she made in her life and how they influenced me. But I, I, I take it as, as my responsibility to help remember for her. And, you know, I tell her story often so that, um, you know, people know how much she had an impact on my life and in turn, you know, all these millions of children that I'm now able to to help support as well. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Gita. I really appreciate you taking your time out uh, to talk to us. And um, I really hope that we can help kind of share your story and the story of Room to Read and people can um, learn more about it from the website. Again, it was www.roomtoread.org. And thank you so much again for taking time out and being here. I really appreciate it. I'm so grateful that that you all are are listening to our story and engaging with it. You know, there's 250 million children out there not learning, 130 million girls out of school, and it just doesn't have to be that way. I think we can make a change if we want to. So I encourage everyone to get involved. For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gita. And and just want to say thank you to our listeners um, for tuning in. And again, you can find out... um, all of our, about all of our past episodes on the Facebook page and um, listen to, listen in on iTunes or the website podcastdetroit.com and join us next time for another episode of Unsung Heroes.